Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Hey guys, welcome to Talk Tennis. 2022 is wrapping up. It has been quite the year for tennis, and we have had some absolute amazing podcast episodes. While they all hold a special place in my heart, and I appreciate everyone that has been on the podcast this year and years past, I just gathered a few of your favorite and my favorite moments from this year. So we're going to be taking a little listen into a couple of the top episodes from 2022, and As you guys know, there was a lot of stuff happening in tennis. One of the biggest things, I think, though, as far as rackets go, was we got to see a brand new Bablot Pure Arrow, and I had a chance to talk to Bablot all about how they create their rackets, what goes into making their rackets, um, all that kind of fun stuff. We had such a deep dive into the history of the Pure Arrow, the players that endorse the Pure Arrow. So take a listen uh, to a little snippet of this episode and then come back and we'll check out a few more. We, we are consumer centric. It's very important. And um, yeah, we identified this. And so we went much further than just propose a different weight and balance. Okay. So frames are, are different. What did you guys identify as some of the things that needed to be updated for the new Pure Arrow and how does that manifest in the new lineup? Yeah, then um, in, in the process when we prepared the, the brief, so we identified obviously internally and uh, we checked some reviews. So you, you <laughs> as, as, we talked, as, we talk, as we talked yesterday, yeah. so... Uh, uh, we check some reviews, and so it's important to, uh, yeah, to gather all different elements from uh, people, players, and, and 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 your reviews. And so we identified some some criteria to uh, to to improve, um, like uh, feel, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we identified this. So we worked on on technologies that provide a, a great uh, a great feel. And uh, we identified as well for what we talked the, the, the category of strong spinner with a natural mm-hmm. strength. Mm-hmm. We we noticed that they would expect a better power control ratio mm-hmm. or control power ratio. Mm-hmm. So a bit, a bit a bit more control maybe. So that's why we worked uh, on a specific uh, strength pattern, for example, uh, to provide that that perfect balance nice. and control power ratio. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the models. Let's start with, well, you can, you can tell us, you can introduce the models. This is your baby. (laughs) Yeah, I would say it's, uh, so we are working on a, on the eighth generation of the Pure Arrows. That's crazy. It's a long time. Yes. Almost 20 years. So it's a, it's a strong franchise. It's a strong franchise for, uh, for, for Babola. Yeah. It's the racket got a lot of successes, I would say on tour and on, on clubs too, huh? but uh, yes, I would say the first one. Would say yes. this one. It's uh, uh, this one is is a kind of special because uh, this is a uh, the model that Rafa played and won the first the first French Open in two thousand and five. Wow! So I would say yes, everything uh, started uh, with, with this one. This one, yes, got a lot of success and got very famous. Yes. So it's yeah, it's very special. Yeah. I would say in the, uh, in, in the pure arrow. Uh, Story, yes. <laughs> then I, yeah, I see this one. 
This one is a, a model in 2013. Mm -hmm. We see the Cortex here. Uh, this one is what was a bestseller. Okay. I was uh, going to say, I remember even yeah. years after people are yeah. still like, do you have the old APD? Yeah. So the APD 13 is, was very, very good racket. Um, I think we, we managed to reach the perfect, I would say, control power ratio with, mm -hmm. with, with this racket. Okay. Of course, it's, uh, it, it generates pins. So we have some technologies like, like woofer to increase the, the trampoline effect. Um, yes. And in terms of playability, that racket was really good mm -hmm. and, uh, and cool design. And so, yes, it's, uh, it was, it was the best, bestseller. Yes. Yeah. I think when people hear um, Arrow or APD, that might be the one that they first see in their head. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of players are yeah, nostalgic for, for uh, yes. this Yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, I would say this one, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the, uh, the current one, uh, Pure Arrow 2019. Mm -hmm. Very cool one. I think in that generation of racket, we integrated uh, what we call aeromodular technology. So we integrated... Uh, plastic part okay. uh, into, into the, the frame to reduce, I would say, um, frictions in the air and so to have a, a racket, racket speed uh, and, and, and a, a faster swing. So we worked, uh, we worked on this. And it, on this generation of racket, we worked on the string pattern too. It's, it's a little bit more open. Okay. Um, so we know it generates uh, more power and spin. So this is part of a Another segment of the spin, what we call AV spin, we'll talk maybe later about that. Mm -hmm, but, uh, mm -hmm. but yes, it's uh, the string pattern is a bit different here, and some technologies for uh, for feel uh, like uh, smack. So the filtration of vibration, it's uh, it's important too. So to uh, players still need a feedback in the, in the hand. Mm -hmm. um, so we work on this to have uh, the perfect filtration of, okay. of vibrations to provide the the, the, the perfect feel. So there, this one is uh, is doing well too. Yeah, it's a uh, is a very good one. We started off 2022 with a deep dive into wheelchair tennis. As someone that's played tennis for almost 35 years of my life, I was easy to admit that I didn't know as much about wheelchair tennis as I wanted to. So I had so much fun researching, connecting, learning about wheelchair tennis, and I have such huge respect for these wheelchair athletes, but specifically the ones on the tennis court. Um, they share our passion, they're out there grinding, and it's so cool to connect and see how talented these athletes are. So I wanted to share with you guys a snippet from my chat with Brad Parks, who is literally the founder of Wheelchair Tennis. Take a listen. Today's guest is in a word, inspirational. In 2010, he was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. He's a three-time major champion, a former world number one, and a gold medal winner, earning all of these awards after being paralyzed at 18 years old in a skiing accident. He is known as one of the pioneers of wheelchair tennis and is one of the reasons why wheelchair tennis has become a worldwide sport. Thank you so much for joining me on Talk Tennis today, Brad Parks. Nice to be here. Thank you. So this conversation sort of came about, um, I was talking to the USTA Southern section and they have a big wheelchair tennis initiative, which I'm starting to learn more about. And I had mentioned at Tennis Warehouse, like, hey, I really want to learn more about wheelchair tennis. I think this is a cool, a cool area that we can just kind of absorb ourselves into. And your name was brought up and Rick connected me to a 
mutual friend and I got connected to you, Brad, and I'm so grateful for this conversation. So um, thank you for joining. And I just kind of wanted to start from the beginning. As I was doing my research, there's so much to that you've done with your life, but talk to me, start from the beginning. You're a young skier growing up as a skier. Correct. Um, I kind of grew up uh, playing a lot of different sports, but I, I really started focusing on skiing and, and I love to surf too, because I lived in Southern California, but skiing was certainly my love. And I chose to go to the university of Utah um, because I, I wanted to be in the snow and to ski. And uh, there was an amateur freestyle competition uh, circuit, I should say. Uh, and um, I had friends who were on the pro tour in those days. That was kind of my goal. And, uh, but I, you know, wanted to get a degree. And so I figured that was kind of the, the, the best thing was to be there. And, and I was the very first competition that I was in where I um, uh, over-rotated a backflip and broke my back. Believe it or not, tennis was a sport that I did play and I wasn't, you know, wasn't on the high school team or anything like that. Uh, um, I did play with, I did have a few friends who were on the high school team and I played with them, but uh, I, 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 it was a sport that I really wanted to get better at figuring in the off season when, you know, I couldn't surf or, you know, and of course couldn't ski because of the snow. Yeah. Um, uh, I wanted to uh, really learn to be a better tennis player. So when I got hurt, I mean, I thought maybe I'd get better for, 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 for months. Well, for a certain period of time, I did think, you know, you kind of figured you're going to get better. And even though the doctor said, there's no way you're going to get better, you're, um, you're, it's permanent. So I thought, well, okay, well, if it's going to be permanent, then what am I going to do with my life? What sports can I still do? And people had mentioned basketball and they'd, I think I had heard about that they have races, you know, wheelchair races and things. But uh, I thought to myself, you know, tennis, I wonder if I could play tennis. So really, it was really in the first month um, when I'm in the rehab, uh, not before I even was in rehab, when I was still in, I guess, you know, it was out of intensive care, but it was recovering from the surgery, uh, you know, where they put two Harrington rods in your back and, you know, and you're, you know, you're it was before you even know how to use the wheelchair. It was before I even got out of bed. I started thinking about the tennis. And so it was, um, I just kind of wondered if it could, if it's possible. And it seemed if you could play wheelchair basketball, it seemed logical that you could play tennis. So, uh, it, so I kind of had that on my mind. And so essentially was anyone playing wheelchair tennis before you kind of were like, we can do this in a wheelchair. Well, it was right after I got out of rehab. So I spent a month in ho the hospital and then three months in rehab. But, and when I got out of the rehab, you know, I, there was a guy there who was a wheelchair basketball player who was, you know, teaching, you know, how to do certain things in the wheelchair to, to be able to survive and get around. And, you know, we, I played some hoops and I played a couple of years of, of high school basketball. So I did like basketball, mm -hmm. um, but um, I didn't know of anybody who played tennis, never heard of it, but my parents played and, and it was just right after I got out of the hospital that I went out and hit with my parents and my parents were playing and my dad looked over at me and just, you know, asked me if I wanted to try hitting some. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm in a hospital wheelchair with a high back and big old side guards and armrests and things. And, you know, it was very bulky and, uh, but you know, I hit a couple of balls with he 
I assume, as I recall, he fed me balls, uh, and then we kind of hit some, you know, and just to see what it was like. And immediately I thought, wow, I mean, I think this is something that I, I want to pursue a little bit and try. Then a month later, after I, uh, I had to go for a checkup back at the hospital. Now the guy who was the rec therapist was wheelchair basketball player had left after I got out and there was a new guy in there. So I went to the, my ward, I guess you would call it. And there were three or four guys who were, um, that, that I got to know when I was in the hospital that were still there. So I just thought I'd go and visit them and see how they're doing. And one of the guys said, there's this new, um, rec therapist named Jeff and, um, he's playing wheelchair tennis. And I had told this guy, I mean, I told, you know, probably all those guys knew that I was starting to play yeah. and, uh, you know, on my own. And, and so they thought, you know, guy, you got to meet Jeff because he's playing. And so that was very encouraging to me to think that there's another guy who's doing this. Uh, so we became instant friends. And so it just kind of happened from there. And he was really the inspiration behind the, the behind the first tournament. Okay. He told me that he was teaching a class at uh, uh, Griffith Park in Los Angeles. Uh, and that um, the next year, you know, we became, you know, we started hitting together and became friends. And he lived in LA, I live in Orange County. So we we're an hour, hour and a half away, but we uh, did have the opportunity to, um, to really get to know each other. And, and I kind of came under his wing, so to speak. He um, was a gr- excellent mentor, uh, somebody who was instrumental, I, I would say, in, in that time of my life um, as an encourager and everything else. But uh, so this first tournament they where he was teaching uh, a little bit, um, he um, they, they ran a tournament. And so and he was the one who came up with the idea of two bounces. OK. And he, uh, he asked me about it. I remember him calling me up and saying, well, we're going to have this tournament. Um, I really got, you got to play in it. And he said, what do you think? Should we do one bounce or two bounce? <laughs> and I had kind of gone back and forth during this. This was a period of about a year now, mm-hmm. and, you know, during this period. And I had kind of gone back and forth and, and I started to, to realize that we needed to play with two bounces. And again, we're, we're, we're in hospital wheelchairs. Now he, started making his own wheelchair out of, out of a garage. And it was pretty lightweight maneuverable and, and, and very, very different, but, but, you know, he just made one for himself. And, and then, uh, I said, yeah, Jeff, we gotta, we gotta use two bounces. I mean, that's, that's the way we play. And, you know, whenever I would play with friends, I'd say, Hey, I use two bounces. I would just automatically say that. Right. So it was, it was, you know, years later when it was officially approved, it was like a big deal. You know, it's like, wow, it's part of the rules of the game. You guys always have such amazing feedback for us, whether it's on the podcast, on some of our videos, on our message boards. So we had some fun answering some of your big questions. We love interacting with you guys about gear and we love the questions. So keep them coming. You can always email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. In this episode, Troy and I take a stab at answering some of your big gear questions. This was one of two two of our Ask Me Anything episodes, and they proved to be very popular. So keep asking us questions and we'll keep answering them. Take a quick listen to this episode. Let's start with a question that I think a lot of people might have out there. How often should I change my grommets? Oh, okay. That's a good one. 
Yeah. So, I mean, when it really comes down to it, I mean, the simple answer would just be like the functionality of the grommets. So yes, the biggest thing is, you know, some people will, will wear down the bumper guard, you know, a lot faster than mm-hmm. others. A lot of people, you know, whether they scrape their uh, the top of their racket, um, going for volleys, some people even like hit it when they're following through on their serve. Right. I don't tend to wear out my bumper and grommets too much, or, you know, like just from rubbing against a court surface. Yeah, you <laughs> I know we have. It's really nice. Um, but I, I know us. some people uh, <laughs> like sometimes I give a hard time to Jay? Jason Wong. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes he'd like even use his racket to like stop himself while he's like turning directions. I'm like, just shaves. You're going to wear through that bumper fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, really what you want to be aware of is just check the bumper of the racket, especially over time. When you first get a new racket, you're usually not going to have to worry about too much. But check the bumper, and you just want to look for where the, the plastic meets the actual frame. Mm-hmm. Check for um, any of the paint wearing down, mm-hmm. graphite exposure, like the layer underneath. Mm-hmm. And you can usually see the the different layers of the paint if it starts to wear through. I know some of your old RFs <laughs> yeah. had that going on where like yeah. it goes to the primer and then underneath. Yeah. So that's that's important for the top part of the racket, the integrity um, around the, the hoop and the bumper. But also something, uh, especially over time, if you have a racket for many years, is the actual little tiny grommet pieces throughout the whole part of the hoop mm-hmm. will break start down. to break down. And you want to check that for like little cracks. Okay. Because once they start, uh, the little grommet holes start cracking, um, the string can kind of slip through and, and um, lay up against the sharp edge of the frame. And that's okay. that can cause premature string breakage. Okay. So those that are the things sense. you really want to work for, yeah. uh, look for. Personally, I don't have to change my grommets on my frames that often, but maybe after like a year or so, you know, start checking. Some yeah. people will um, wear through the bumper really, really fast. So okay. it just depends on how heavy duty you are and like how often <laughs> yeah. you scrape your racket on volleys and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, one thing that I think it would be worth adding, especially we've seen like delivery issues the last few years, maybe trying to get people in the habit of buying grommets before they need them. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, maybe when you, if you are looking to buy your rackets, if you're the type of, you know, tournament player or whatever that buys two or three rackets at a time, you know, when you're doing that big purchase, maybe look on the the website, you're shopping hopefully from Tennis Warehouse and just see if there is inventory, maybe get a backup or two, two backups. I don't think you need to get it like five or six. That's a little overkill unless (laughs) you have a lot of frames, but maybe just a couple uh, backup grommets if they're available. They're usually pretty cheap, under 10 bucks. Yeah. So um, probably worth it in the long run if you plan on sticking with the racket for, you know, a few years or whatever. I was going to go into another question, but since we're talking about old rackets, there was one that popped up. It said, I'm currently using an AeroPro Drive GT. They got it for Christmas in 2010. So assuming it's the 2010 model, he used it for one tennis season in school, used it once a week for another eight months or so, then quit. He hibernated from tennis until last <laughs> June. Nice. And it says, I've been using it twice a week since then. My questions are, one, do I need a new racket? I love it still, but not sure if anything happens to it if you let it rest over time. And two, what racket would you say is similar to this? I wouldn't mind it being a little heavier. That would actually be a positive. Thanks. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, now that it seems like they're getting back into tennis, yes. playing more regularly, I mean, if they like the racket um, and there's no damage to it or like we were just talking about the grommets mm-hmm. and stuff and like 
scuffs to the frame or, you know, it's breaking down the structural integrity, the racket will probably play fine as long as, um, you know, usually you'd want to, if you're storing a racket, if it's sitting around for a long time, <laughs> you want to keep it in a, in an indoor yeah. climate, um, a temperature control, control yeah. Don't environment. leave it in your garage. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to probably leave it in the garage, like inside your house, your closet, room, or whatever. It's usually fine. Definitely don't want to leave it in the trunk of your car. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because those extreme temperature changes will um, have more of an effect on the, the inside of the racket, the fibers and stuff, and, okay. and especially the strings. Um, so it sounds like the racket's probably fine, but it definitely would be if you're getting more serious and maybe playing more competitive matches, you might actually want to look to, you know, upgrade it. And, you know, we're in the business of selling rackets. Yeah. So <laughs> there's definitely some good choices uh, on the market. I would definitely, um, I mean, you know, Aero Pro Drive into the Pure Aero family. Yeah. So you'd probably want to look at the Pure Aero. If you want a little heavier, maybe Pure Aero Tour. Yeah. Most of us really like the VS, even though it's not heavier, it's a little more control and feel and you can always customize. So that's, that's a good place to start. But yeah. then, you know, we have videos, what plays like a pure drive. We've done, you know, other rackets that are power spin friendly. Right. I, I think you've done a couple There's of those good ones. And like, if you follow the trend of the color, that might help. <laughs> if you yeah. think, you know. So <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Like? Oh, I was thinking uh, the Dunlop, the yes. SX line, right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, that would be another great place to start. SX300. Um, I really like the tour. I mm -hmm. think you did too. Because yeah. it's, it's kind of like the VS. It's a 98. So it's a little more control and feel. I think it's got a little more weight to it, maybe at like 305 for I the tour so. versus the 300 grams. Yeah. Um, so those are great frames and they're pretty comfortable too because they have that uh, technology, that sonic core. Right. I like um, that. I actually like the SX more than I like the Pure Arrow VS. Personally, I like the feel of it yeah, better. Yeah. 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 Um, and then from there, the next options are obviously going to be like the Head Extreme. Mm -hmm. That's super popular on the Pro Tour yeah. nowadays from Berrettini to Struff to um, all kinds of players. Yeah. Our, our uh, old Team Tita player, Haley Carter, was using it for oh, a long yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's a really uh, popular yeah. frame. Yeah. Little, little I can't say her name. <laughs> What did she use? Sorry, Barbara. Uh, is her name? Oh, are you talking about Krajikova? <laughs> Krajikova, yeah. yeah, sorry. She's an extreme user. Um, her. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, said yeah, it yeah, so yeah. wrong, it wasn't even the right name. No, no, no. I, got, I knew <laughs> where I you knew were going because you got the first name. Right. Yeah. Um, but extreme's a great frame. And then from there, uh, what are some of the other? Uh, V-Core from yes, the Onyx. for sure. Um, great Solid. choices. So you have a lot to choose from. Call our racket experts and they could definitely hook you up with like a demo order if, yeah. if you have that option. 2022 was filled with controversial topics, but I think the biggest one on the podcast was the great string debate. And we're talking tension, high tension versus low tension. As I mentioned on the episode, I'm usually on the wrong side of this debate. As someone that prefers a higher tension, I went into a podcast episode with Chris and Troy to debate high tension versus low tension. We talk all about string materials, string best practices, all kinds of good stuff. So take a quick listen to this snippet and see which side you're on, high or low. Maybe you can just give me what you're looking for from your string bed, your string setup, and even what are you, what's like your ideal tension right now? And I guess it does depend if you're stringing in a 98, 16 by 19 or a 98, 18, 20. So we can just kind of start there and keep the conversation going. 
Yeah, Michelle, it's all about the pocketing, <laughs> the dwell time, you know? No, I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for me, um, yeah, you know, before I worked at Tennis Warehouse and I, like I started, like I said, started stringing and experimenting, I used to use a, uh, a Dunlop uh, 200, 18 by 20 pattern. It was a really soft racket. It was like low 60 flex. But when I first started uh, using polys in that racket, I think I was using like the ghost and poly lawn. Cause it was like super cheap and durable, like a 16 gauge. And I actually used to have it strung at like 60 pounds. So it was really, it was pretty tight for a racket like that. And dead yeah. just cause um, other players around me or like the coach at the time, he was, you know, pretty old school, like gut nylon. And, you know, those were the tensions that were recommended. So I was like, all right, string it at 60 pounds, 61. And then, from there, I started getting into like, you know, a little bit better co-polys. I went from a Ghost and Polylon to a Signum Pro Poly Plasma. And I was like, oh, this is nice, you know. And then once I started working here and trying different stiffnesses of rackets, like that racket was really, really soft, you know, not not a wood racket. But essentially, if you think of it that way, you know, you could put metal wire in a wood racket because it's so flexible mm-hmm. and it's still not really going to hurt your arm. So luckily, I had a racket that was like really soft and so i didn't have to learn the hard way and i didn't really get any arm injuries but uh right away like my first racket i reviewed was a k blade 98 and that had like a higher stiffness i think like 67 and that's like when i was like oh man this is like definitely firmer than my racket and so i started learning like oh gradually drop the tension to find that like happy medium between you know a stiffer frame like that and a a stiff poly you know to kind of find the balance so that's kind of how i gradually started working my way down and it was gradual. It was like, you know, 60 down to 55. And then I was kind of like in the 55 to low 50 range for a while. And then, um, kind of worked my way all the way down into the forties. But, um, Chris, I don't know what, what was your kind of reason for starting to go down intention? So I was at the Cincinnati open one year and I was doing a video interview with Nate Ferguson of priority one who's feds, customizer stringer with Ron Yu mm-hmm. over there and um we were in the you know asking the questions that you do and like who's the highest tension or the lowest tension and then they were like oh Filippo Philandri was in here and you know I had to ask him whether it was it was a good job I asked him whether it was pounds or kilos because it was so low you know it could have been <laughs> kilos and then I think he was down if you convert it into pounds he's like in the low 30s like around 35 pounds and I'm like huh that's something I want to try so when I came back to T-Dub after we had been filming I started, I was using the vocal average 10 mid at the time. And I started doing a, what I called the low tension experiment. And we did some blogs and some videos on it. There's a thread. You can probably still find it on the message board about it. And actually, you know, when, you know, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20. And then I was just like, well, the string machine only goes down to 10 pounds or whatever. I did it 10 pounds and I wanted to just go lower. So then I just pulled the string straight with my hand and, Clamped it. I don't even know why I clamped it. <laughs> and, then, and then moved on. So I have strung pretty much about as low as you can put string in a racket. And if it's with a poly, a poly's so stiff. You know, if you just get a coil of poly and try and just twist it, you'll feel how stiff that string is. You can um, you can actually play it quite well, remarkably, with hardly any tension in it at all. Um, and it actually becomes, once you get really low, almost silent when you hit. So it's like cheating because a person can't hear how hard <laughs> you're hitting the ball. And then also, um, and this is one thing I talked about with the T-Dub professor here, was 
usually the string vibration and the frame vibration are canceling each other out. And then depending on the racket, you're going to find a low tension where they start to harmonize and they amplify, you know, the string vibration and the frame vibration get together and they become super buzzy and you're going to get tennis elbow in no time. Um, so you got to watch out for that when you start getting super low, like into the twenties, you'll find it's going to vary from racket to racket. You'll find a point where they're no longer canceling each other out. They're helping each other out. It's not an enjoyable feel. <laughs> I was going to say you should knock on the window and get, get the professor. He might have to he's do. He's just next door. Yeah. He's like, what are they talking about? He's, he's going to have to do like a supplemental um, episode to this because I have a lot of questions and I know there are others out there that probably have similar questions. And I don't know if you can help debunk these questions or at least um, explain them, but Here's a couple, I'm just going to start shooting them off with a higher tension. Will my string maintenance suffer more than at a lower tension? Cause a lot of people say like, if you have a racket strung at 62 pounds and you have a racket strung at 42 pounds, there's a greater amount that the 62 pounds needs to drop compared to the 42 pounds. I'm not good with science. You guys answer. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's several ways to look at it. One is tension maintenance. Um, and the other is the shear factor of the string. So if you already have your string strung very tightly, there's a greater chance that you're reaching the point where it's just going to snap from stretching. Um, if you shank it. So if you catch the ball really close to the frame, you can just the shear force becomes too much for the string and it breaks. Whereas if it's a, a more flexible string um, or at a lower tension, it's still got a little bit of room to give and stretch. Um, so it's less likely to shear. Um, and then I think on the flip side of that, uh, lower tension, the string is going to be moving around a bit more. It's going to, especially when you're brushing up, the strings can get displaced more and then they snap back on a poly. So you're going to get, a chance of increased notching, which could lead to premature, like earlier breakage on the sweet spot area in the middle of the racket. So you've got those two kind of factors going in as, as far as string breakage. And then I'll let Troy jump in and talk about tension maintenance. Yeah, I, I would just think, you know, what kind of what, what Chris was saying about the high tension. Just think of the string is when you string it tight like that, you're putting the string under more stress. It's constantly being pulled. You know, that tension is really tight. So it's under a lot of stress and that, you know, would cause it, I would think, you know, more likely to, you know, break on, like he was saying, off center or whatever. Um, as far as tension maintenance goes, I, I don't know if, if there's an exact, you know, right or wrong answer, but say you string a poly, a monofilament at 70 pounds, you know, whatever, you're already like putting it under a lot of stress and it's constantly being stretched out. I wouldn't think that there would be much more, you know, for it to give. Whereas, at a really low tension, you're not, this, this, like I say, a really hand pull or whatever on the other extreme, the string's not, it's just kind of sitting. It's more like a, like a net at that point. I, I don't think it would lose tension that fast because it's, it's already really loose. But then again, I don't think it's being tested, so to speak, as, as much as the high tension would be. So I don't know. I think there might be like a sweet spot zone, but um, as far as which one's going to lose tension faster, um, I know that I know exactly like the answers for that as far as string material and string construction, but I would think the one that's being stressed out more is going to get more damage done to it when you're hitting the ball. 
We always love connecting with the tennis nerds out there, but in this episode, we connected with the OG tennis nerd, Jonas Erickson. Join Troy and I for an episode, and we talked all about pro stock rackets. So we kind of dived in, we kind of get nitty gritty, we talk about what the pros are really swinging, and uh, it's a fun chat. We always love connecting with to the tennis nerd, and I know you guys do too. This is one of the most popular episodes of the year. Take a little listen to part of our conversation. We wanted to talk to you about pro stock rackets. I'm going to lean on Troy to lead this discussion because he knows way more than me when it comes to pro stock rackets, and you have gotten your hands on many. And I guess the first question that's probably the most common one that you get is, is it really going to make me play better tennis if I'm using the actual racket that a pro's playing? And what are some of the differences that you see between the rackets that are available for all of us to buy and what the pros are hitting with? It's mainly going to make you play worse tennis. That's usually what I <laughs> what I feel when I'm playing with a pro stock uh... racket. Because uh, many of the pros, what well, they use, their older like junior rackets that are customized to their liking, so weight added. They're usually quite head heavy comparatively to more you know recreational retail rackets they're not easy to use they usually have quite small sweet spot which works for them they hit you know millions of tennis balls in, in a year and so uh, usually they're quite you know humbling to use a pro stock rackets i played with novak and these not rogers yet but i i could imagine it being somewhat similar and, and you really feel like oh wow you know the feeling is nice but it's nothing magical it's just what works for them and I think people get into this like thing that, oh, it's going to change my life. If I just could get four matched PT57 A's, my <laughs> life is done. I'm going to reach the, the ITF tour now. Uh-huh. And that's not how it works. I mean, it's, it's fun to have these, fun to play with them. Uh, but then you, when you hit with them, I have Tommy Haas personal frame at home, which looks amazing, you know, and something I hit from time to time. But it's just, um, it's demanding, right? It's a swing weight is right up there, 360s strong. And, and yeah, you, you feel like less of a player when you're playing with it, not more of a player. So so I think people really have this perception that it's going to be, there's some magic going on that us mortals cannot buy at tennis warehouse or anywhere else that we, if we could just get our hands on it, it would change our tennis life. But it, sadly, uh, it's not the case. I can say from my own experience, there's no magic in there. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I've hit with a couple. Um, I know that you've had, you know, quite a variety of pro stocks to hit with and i hit with um, a rafa racket from uh, oh, i think yeah. it, i think it was back from like 2010 or 2011 it was like the gt cosmetic and i know the swing weight was pretty beefy it was like in the three 355 range i believe what it was yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't it wasn't like a super heavy racket it was only like three points headlight so very close to that even balance but yeah it's just uh it's a different experience another one that i got to try was uh one of Lauren Davis's H22s when she was with Wilson. And uh, yeah, definitely had a, a, it was a great filling frame, had a natural gut hybrid in it. And uh, there was a lot of, a uh, lot of lead tape around the three and nine, 10 and two as well. So that plays a big part, but uh, yeah, mo- most of them are very demanding frames as far as the way they're set up, as far as uh, maybe just expanding. Like I know that, you know, probably those, these frames are a lot more demanding and uh you make you make you feel like <laughs> it's hard to play with with uh, with the racket. But as far as the feel goes, maybe just um, if you could give your thoughts on like you said the Tommy Haas racket or the PT fifty seven A, the Murray frame, um, and this I know the sweet you said the sweet spot can be very small. But is there something about the 
maybe the layup, it's hard to say what's inside, but that gives you that kind of like sublime feel, maybe more so than the material that you've noticed through a, a retail frame. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's something that they, they you know, get accustomed to early, but it's also like some of these old school frames have a very plush, buttery feel. Like we talk about these words, both you and, and I do on my own channel. We talk about these words that kind of go over and over, but it's hard to describe them. It is something in that sensation when the racket pockets in the string bed that just feels very, very nice and you get kind of addicted to it. But to hit it over and over again, if you're a lesser player and you're more, it's more demanding, you have to move better. Uh, so, so there's something to, to some of those old school frames. The PT57A is one of the best examples. I like the H22 is a great frame as well that many pros like, but it's not going to change your life, but it's going to be a nice uh, hitting experience for sure. And I can really understand like Mario now playing with this, you know, prestige MP mold, the new yeah. one, but yeah. in the PT57A layup. So he still wants that frame that flexes and i just talked to a guy who strung his racket in my podcast uh, the other day and it still flexes like his old racket but it's just a bigger head size so they can get these kind of magical in a way that they can say i want this in this and then if it works it doesn't works if it doesn't work it doesn't work right so they go back to drawing board so that we can't get the yeah. but it's it's still not the easiest uh, to use for sure yeah that's uh that's the one thing i think some you know, some of the tennis fanatics, people on our message boards that, that crave these pro stocks is, yeah, a lot of them know that the, the rackets might be an older generation of a retail frame, but that, that thought that these manufacturers can tweak the layup, the stuff that you can't see, you know, the, the layup of the frame, the direction of the graphite fibers. I know like Chris Edwards has been lucky enough to go to like the head factory and build in or Wilson and make his own racket with the graphite tubes and everything. And, you know, it's crazy how many thousands and thousands of different ways that they can tweak the angle of the fibers throughout the hoop to get it to flex different at different points, you know? So that's something that's very kind of like a mysterious thing that I think some people kind of get, get stuck on, you know, Oh my God, the layup of the frame. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's a, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, and I hope I've been scheduled to go to the Kendelbach factory in Austria like twice now, but it's been COVID every time it's a different wave of COVID. <laughs> oh, no. Hopefully now we, we are getting into a place where I could go there because it would be really amazing uh, for a fan of these old school frames. I'm, you know, I'm a big lover of these old school rackets and uh, it's, it's so nice to see how they will actually manufacture it and so much engineering that actually goes into this. Sometimes these guys that actually come up with the molds and the layups, they don't get enough respect and enough recognition because it's, it's quite a lot of work that goes in finding something that plays well for a big audience or just for that one player whether it's Novak or it's it's a big group that for the clash or whatever you you want to you sell you know to the audience so um kudos to the guys who actually come up with these uh, layups and molds for sure those R&D guys they and they spend years dedicating like yeah. research and like by the time you see a new launch of rackets they're already working on a racket that's launching <laughs> in 3 years so it's pretty wild yeah. they're awesome and they're so informed and they've been in the sport for so long most of them i would say it's pretty cool. 
Last but not least, it's always fun for me to connect with the designers in our sport, the people who are spending hours and years researching and creating what we love to wear or use on the court. And in this episode, I had a chance to talk with the global team from Adidas about the Avacourt shoe. Now, if you've watched any of our reviews on this shoe or even listened to this podcast already, you're going to quickly know this shoe is one of my favorites of the year. They designed it specifically with the female athlete in mind. But what I love is they took feedback from players like you and me, not just the pro players. So they really did an amazing job launching this shoe. It has quickly become one of the most popular women's shoes on the market for 2022. They keep adding really fun colors, and I'm really excited to share part of this episode with you guys. So this episode is dedicated to this new shoe, Avacourt. And it is a women's specific shoe. And I just want to get straight into it. You guys have made a women's specific shoe in the past. And there's one right now that is a favorite amongst many, many, many women out there. The Stella Court, previously the Stella Barricade. I know every female tennis player at Tennis Warehouse has that shoe in their top three. Um, Talk to me about... The process of coming together with a new shoe for women and updating the Stella Court to the Ava Court. Yeah, no, it's it's maybe I, I take this one. I think um, or have a first shot at it. It's great to hear the the love for for the Stella Court shoe, and um, that is matched um, by many, uh, including ourselves. And it's it's definitely a space that um, we feel really really passionate and. Uh, confident about having having kind of owned that for so long uh, and it's definitely will continues to be a winner for for many on and, and off the court um, may I say so um, I mean as you as you know we have um, a significant lineup of tennis shoes in our portfolio you know that, that reaches the entire spectrum from uh, whatever a player needs on the court um, whether it's stability uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum of a lightweight uh, fast shoe with ubersonic and um, on all the shoes that we have in our portfolio, we, we have a dual gender approach. So we have making, making sure that the shoe is accessible for both female and male players. Um, and, and what is also important here is that all of the women's shoes of the entire portfolio um, are tailored to women's specific needs. So um, we always um, put a lot of effort in making sure that the, the fit of the shoe is built on a women's specific last, um, that color heights, material choices, um, you know, abrasion zones, that adjustments are made on all of our shoes in the portfolio to women's athletes' needs. When we talk about Avocourt, this is really where uh, we know that a lot of female tennis athletes, um, you know, a lot of learnings um, actually prefer to find a shoe and wear a shoe on court that somehow sits in the middle of that spectrum. You know, you have Barricade, it's, it's a very supportive, confident, stable product. And on the other side with Supersonic, we have a super fast shoe in the lineup. But we know that for a lot of female players, the sweet spot is really in that middle, you know, where there is not such a preference um, or need for, for going one or the other way. And um, I mean, the learnings from Stella and the love that the shoe has been uh, enjoying you know, it's, it's one, one part of the formula, but at the same time, you know, over the course of the years, we've been uh, able to collect a lot of additional data, insights, 
working with our pro athletes in particular, uh, doing research on what are female athletes' specific needs, desires, and um, preferences on court. And, and that really all laddered up in the end where, where we felt so strongly about um, having that all that in additional insight and in it being time to update that space uh, and put all forces together and create uh, Avacourt. Um, so really happy um, with, with having all the ammunition that's gone into it. Nice. I really like what you said, how, I mean, I know there was a ton of research done and I would love to hear even more about what you guys have learned through the research process. But even hearing that you did so much research, hearing that women really do like that stable shoe, but they also like that light and comfort. And then like being able to have the sense to be like, okay, let's put something in the middle because so often we see these lines of shoes and they match up men, women, men, women, men, women, and that's great. And a lot of times women can find success with one of those options, but they might not even know that something better exists. And there's, this is like a hybrid of exactly um, what women are craving. That wraps up 2022. I'm super excited for 2023. Tennis is in for a good year. There are going to be tons of new rackets, shoes, apparel. I think the pros are gearing up for a good year as well. So excited to catch preseason down in Australia and jump right into that Australian Open. Hopefully we'll be bringing you tons of fun content on the podcast and throughout all of the things that we do at Tennis Warehouse. Always open to feedback or things that you want to hear more email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com and wishing you guys all a very, very happy new year and amazing happy holidays and all the best for 2023. Happy hitting. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes and be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, happy hitting.